0: manipulate each other and so we've got these two things going on and we really can talk about both I'm gonna start talking about it from a genuine standpoint when the rates really are skyrocketing with anxiety but we can come back and talk about what to do with this other piece of it where they're using these big words to get attention to because I think it's a real phenomenon happening and I, and I feel like y'all are probably with me in that you're seeing kids who are doing that And let me tell you, too, this is kind of inside scooping counseling, but it's one of the things I feel really concerned about in 2020 is when I call psychiatrists and try to say, well, I think there's an element of it that's manipulative. They won't go there with me a lot of times. And I think some of that is we're living in this dumb legalistic culture, legality, in terms of legalism, where they're afraid of being sued. And not all of them are in that place, but I think we want to be aware of that, too. Because as we're having conversations with parents, we need to be aware that it's both things. And that not all people in the helping profession are recognizing that it's both things. And I think we're doing kids a disservice when we run down that path every time with them other than when it's suicidal and and we can talk about that more later so okay let's move back to this whole idea so I want to talk about I forgot to say I wrote this book on anxiety a year and a half ago and in my research to write the book I read 23 books on anxiety which is way too many books about anything especially anxiety I think I twitched myself for about a month after reading them all but so a lot of this is born out of research I did but also my own practice and and in the book, I broke it down into three sections. So starting with understanding and moving to help and then hope, because we always want to land there with kids. And and what I'm seeing more and more is parents are getting stuck in the understanding piece of it. And I'll give you an example of, of where I think this is coming from. So. Y'all, y'all saw Daystar, really, if you're gonna take your kids to counseling, I don't know that there's a cuter building. Sorry to brag, but our office is so cute and warm. And kids really do, I have so many kids who say they feel safe just walking in the door. And so, if you were a parent you're to bring your child to Daystar, we have this computer program called Therabill that tells us about the person who's coming for counseling. And I had on my Therabill notes for an assessment, so first time appointment, that I had an eight year old girl who had anxiety. And she's average age of onset. So I walked down the stairs of the building and I see this little girl across the lobby and I smiled. Y'all can tell I have a really big smile. And so she saw me and I I waved at her and she smiled really big back. And I walked over to her and I said, hey, I'm Sissy, I'm so excited that your day started. I'm gonna give you a tour of the building and then we're gonna go upstairs and I have a super cute dog who's gonna be really excited to meet you too. We're gonna go meet Lucy after this. And this little girl popped up out of her chair and started to follow me. And her mom grabbed her arm and said do you feel comfortable with that and it had never occurred to this little girl not to feel comfortable with it until her mom asked that question and then her very well-intentioned mom which we need to say that her very well-intentioned mom followed us on the whole tour (laughs) around the building and then sat across from my office the entire time I was with her daughter So I took the little girl out, brought the mom in as I do every time and said to the mom, which I say to parents when they're talking about anxiety, do you happen to have any family history for anxiety? And this mom said, y'all can totally imagine. She said, yes, I had anxiety as a child and my parents never understood. And so what's happening is we're seeing a lot of parents who are overcompensating and trying to give their kids what they never felt like they got themselves. We want to start with understanding, okay? And then we're going to move from there because we sure don't want to get stuck there. So in terms of understanding, I want to show y'all a clip of what I think fear. Again, some of you may have anxiety. We're not going to call you out if you do. If you don't, just so you know what it feels like to have that kind of anxious spinning in your brain, we're going to look at this little guy. And I would imagine a lot of y'all have seen the movie Inside Out. But let's take a look at what's going on with him. I'm safe. Easy, easy, huh? Bye back! Oh, we're good. We're good. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we're back. We're supposed to live here? We oh, yeah. have. I'm telling you, it smells like something died in here. Did you die from moving? Guys, you're overreacting. Nobody is dying. A dead mouse! Ah! Great. I'm gonna be sick. In the house of the dead, what are we gonna do? We're gonna get rabies! Get How cool our new room is. What was that? Was it a bear? It's a bear! bears in San Francisco. I saw a really airy guy. He looked like a bear. Oh, I'm so jumpy. My nerves are shot. Ew, I don't want to hear about your nerves. I'll tell you what it is. This move has been a bust. That's what I've been telling you guys. There are at least 37 things for Riley to be scared of right now. The spell alone is enough to make her gag. I can't believe mom and dad moved us here. What? Almost finished with the potential disasters. Worst scenario is either quicksand, spontaneous combustion, or getting called on by the teacher. So as long as none of those happen. Okay, everybody. We have a new student in class today kidding me? Out of the gates? This is not happening! Riley, would you like to tell us something about yourself? No! Pretend we can't speak English? Don't worry, I got this. <laughs> how many of y'all feel like maybe you do have him run around your head sometimes? Um, so, one of the things I read about anxiety is it talked about how the worst case scenario becomes a real life perspective, which is true. And, and y'all, I, I want to say, um, as we talk about parents more today, I talk to so many parents in my counseling office who say, I never had anxiety at all until what would you guess? Until right so I had kids, exactly. And, and we wanna be really aware as we work with parents of not being judgmental. Because it's easy to hear that story of that mom, I felt a little bit like, come on. But obviously, it's born out of this great love parents have for their kids, and they feel panicked that something's going to happen, and they want to do everything they can to prop them up. So, we're going to talk about ways to help them where they feel like there are things they can do that aren't rescuing. Because one of the things we're going to talk about several times this morning is how for anybody to work through anxiety, they have to do the scary thing. Bottom line, they have to do the thing that makes them afraid. So, we'll circle back around to that a lot, but you all, in terms of Anxiety. I think y'all probably know a lot of these statistics. I already mentioned some of them. But anxiety is now a childhood epidemic affecting one in four kids. Girls are twice as likely. So even if you're not hearing them talk about it, you are representing a whole lot of kids who are dealing with this. So one in four kids. Girls are twice as likely. More kids are anxious than they were during World War II during the Great Depression. And we're living at a time, there's a lot happening culturally, but it's sure not World War II or the Great Depression. And so there, is, there are a lot of things we can do and really need to do to help kids in light of that. So one of the things that I read too is that for kids who deal with anxiety, they often go two years before they ever receive any kind of treatment. And anxiety left untreated only gets worse. And so to help parents do some things at home and that's where I think you all have a voice and access to parents that people like me never will to help parents do some things at home and then when those things aren't helping or if you feel like the parents not capable to get them into counseling quickly because it's only gonna get worse and one of the complicating things about anxiety is that it looks different with a whole lot of different people And we're going to talk about kind of some trends in that, but I think... as i sit down and talk to people about do you have any family history for anxiety i will often have parents who will say no no there's no anxiety in our family and you know when you're with someone who's super anxious it's like it feels like you can pick it up just through their i don't know aura or something whatever that even means you just pick it up vicariously from sitting with them and those people will say no we have no family history and i'm the generation of a lot of parents you're working with and and the parents that are having kids today weren't in counseling when they were kids their parents weren't talking about emotions some my guess is some of yours were and some of them weren't y'all are kind of more in the growing up where it was becoming more of a thing but not fully there and so a lot of these parents genuinely don't know that's what's going on for them and because it looks different it's hard to recognize so for example are any of y'all how many of y'all are any grand people okay good so i'm a one on the enneagram which is a terrible number to be and if you're a one which if you're not an enneagram person it means i'm type a i really have come to believe at my age and all these years of counseling kids that everyone who's type a i'm so sorry if i'm the first to say this to you i think everyone who's type a has some anxiety it it just becomes how we function that we get things organized when we're anxious it's just a part of how we roll. Unfortunately, or we start to need to control things, and it's really because we're trying to handle what's happening inside of us. So, when I'm anxious, my house—my mom died about a month ago—and my house has never been as clean and organized as it is right now. So, my sister is a six on the enneagram, and she is very different than I am and she is really high functioning I mean that sounds like yeah anyway (laughs) she's very productive maybe that's a better way to say that she's really productive she has a clothing store in Nashville and she moves a lot when she's anxious too but if you were to be around me when I'm anxious and being productive you would feel a little bit of it mostly because I can get really strong and value productivity of a relationship for her She gets really productive, and she's so sweet and kind at the same time. And you would never have a clue that she's anxious. She's a six on the Enneagram. Did I say that? And so the way that she describes that is she says, I'm like a duck gliding along peacefully on the water, and underneath my feet are going. (laughs) (laughs) So she would be the kid in your youth group that would come in, speak to 30 kids, smile the whole time, and cry the whole drive home. And you would have no idea that's what's going on with her. And so we want to be really aware that it can look different in a lot of kids. Now, parents will tell you a few different descriptors for it that we're going to talk about. But they're going to lean towards, kids are going to lean either towards exploding or imploding. The kids who explode, (coughs) the parents will talk more about what emotion would you guess coming out? Anger, Anger. Anger, absolutely. And you all probably know this. Anger is considered by psychologists a secondary emotion. So anytime we are working with a really angry kid, something else is going on. They don't want to be angry. That's not what they're intending to do. There are kids who just like to push against. We would call them oppositional. Um, But kids who are exploding with that anxiety, it is gonna come out as anger often. And so what happens when I sit with those parents, the more we talk, the more I find out that anger is triggered when all of a sudden they say, I know I told you we were gonna come home after school and you were gonna have some time to do your homework, but now we're gonna have to run five errands, run by your grandmother's house, And that child just loses it on the way home from school. And it's not because parents will sit with me often and say they feel like their child's really manipulative. And it feels manipulative because it feels like it's triggered when they're not getting what they want. But really, it's that their schedule changed at the last minute and even at 13 14 15 some kids at 17 18 they don't yet know how to say it makes me feel anxious when you change my schedule at the last minute and so they just explode at their parents and the kids y'all are working with are getting a whole lot less from their kids emotionally as to what's going on anyway so it often will look like anger and so we want to be aware of when things get really loud and hyped up even the child who gets kind of angry and leaves room we did a I remember we had a holiday we have a summer camp for the kids who are involved in counseling and, and we um, had a child who was on the spectrum and had a lot of anxiety and we our holiday was around the Olympics and so we had this like line where we were screaming at him doing all these things and this one kid started punching people as he was going down the line <laughs> and he was anxious but he didn't know how to say that but that's what was going on he didn't need to go down the line We needed to be better aware of what that child needed and what was going on with them. So, Exploders, they're going to have trouble with transitions, with unpredictability. Um, It's often going to come out as anger. And then there are the kids, like my sister, who are going to be a whole lot more likely to implode. And you may not see it at all. But the more you spend time with them and really pursue them and their hearts, the more you're going to hear it. And they are often the kids who have, it, it becomes more about perfectionism and pressure. And I really, if David were here talking about boys specifically and what he's hearing from parents academically with boys, we are in this generation where we have never seen as many girls who are being as high achieving. I have so many girls who are furious with themselves for getting 93s and 94s. And we've never seen as many boys who are as low achieving, which is scary in terms of that but that means often the imploders are going to feel a lot of perfectionism and girls are going to lean this way a lot and if the oldest child in a family is a girl At this point in our time, I really think she probably has anxiety. I mean, I I don't even think I'd have to talk to the parents long without figuring that out. And it's usually because she's perfectionistic. But boys definitely feel it, too. There are very high-achieving boys out there, too. So it's going to manifest physically. They are the kids who get a stomach ache every time they walk into youth group. They have a lot of headaches. Again, they don't know how to talk about it. And so they're pushing it all down. So we want to be aware of those kids. They're also the kids, I don't know if you have kids in your youth group like this, I would imagine that you do. I remember a boy at camp who was constantly coming up to us saying, what are we doing next on the schedule? What's happening next? Can you tell me who's going to be there? Who's going to be in charge of us at the time? They just have these endless questions over and over and over and over. I'm going to tell you what to do about those questions because honestly for us to answer them isn't helpful to that child. And we tell parents, in fact, not to answer more than five questions on the same topic. It's just not helpful to the kid. And with parents, and one of the things that we're going to talk about, so it it runs on this. I tell kids in my office all the time, it's like the one loop roller coaster. So if we were to talk about worry to anxiety and kind of this continuum, or fear to anxiety, even, you know, fear is more triggered by something specific. They're afraid of monsters or something bad happening. Worry is when it becomes a little more pervasive and hangs around. Anxiety, I would say, is when they get stuck. And it's often stuck in a loop and what we're seeing is that when you think about kids and if you were to think about kids across the spectrum of growing up basically wherever they are developmentally the worst thing they can imagine happening is where they get stuck so for little ones it's what's a five-year-old gonna be afraid of the most or six-year-old the dark potentially something bad happening to mom or dad those are probably the two things that i hear about the most i have a lot of kids who are really afraid of one of their parents dying they get a little bit older and they start to worry about school performing in school that kind of thing i cannot tell you how many fifth graders third fourth fifth graders we have at daystar who are looping about vomit They're kids who typically don't throw up very often and they throw up once And every time they get sick, they start to think, I'm going to throw up, I'm going to throw up, I'm going to throw up. And then what happens to their body? they get so nauseated yeah because they're so worried bless their hearts and then sometimes they throw up and we're seeing a lot of that happen you all and if you have families where you're seeing this we have a lot of kids who are having school based anxiety where Sunday nights Monday mornings they're having a lot of anxiety to the degree that they become pretty incapacitated during the school day we're having more and more parents who are pulling their kids out of school based on that and homeschooling their kids Now, remember what we said about to work through anxiety, you have to what? You have to do the thing. And so for these kids who get pulled for that reason, it basically keeps them from doing the scary thing. And what we want to do, so if you have a family that you're working with that's in the middle of this, what we want to do is we want to help them find their way. Well, those kids need to be in counseling for sure if they have school-based avoidance because often it just gets worse. And then they do get to where there are times kids cannot get to school. And so... If they can, you want to get them into counseling and you want to help them, they need a plan to work through the school day. They need to know they can go to the nurse's office X amount of times during the school day. They have to wait till lunch to call their parent. These accommodations in place that help them feel more comfortable during the school day. But we want them to do the scary thing. But it's gonna lose. So I'm afraid something bad's gonna happen to my parents to I'm gonna throw up, which is really to I'm gonna embarrass myself in front of my peers because they hit that age and then as they get older used to even two years ago i would have said that for high school kids it often is sexual in nature it's violent in nature whatever they're looping about but it's getting younger and younger and so what's hard about working with high school kids is the thing that's scary for them that they're stuck in often they don't want to say it out loud I had a girl that I was working with that would have been like the leader in your youth group. Really neat kid. Um, And she, the more we talked, the more I realized she had a lot of anxiety and she just wasn't saying what she was afraid of. And so as we got there, it was that she was having homosexual thoughts about her best friend. She was having violent thoughts about wanting to, like, kill the children. Not just, I'm mad these kids are driving me crazy, but literally slit the throats of the children she was babysitting. She was having thoughts about being a robot, which we would call, they were dissociative dissociative type thoughts and this girl needed to be on medication and got on medication but the hard part of figuring out her anxiety is she was so embarrassed to say those things that she was struggling with and so we want to try and help them and normalize things as much as we can Because what happens is, and and I am having more and more kids who are talking about homosexual thoughts in that way, and suicidal thoughts. Because again, you think, worst case scenario, the thing I'm most afraid of. So I'm really sad. Maybe I'm struggling with some depression. It'd be so much easier today just not even to be here. <gasps> I wonder if that means I'm suicidal. Oh, no, I think I'm suicidal. Maybe I need I need to go talk to somebody about the fact that I'm suicidal. And then they go to the school and say, I'm having suicidal thoughts. And then y'all know what schools are doing now. You can't come back for two weeks um, but, and send them to the hospital. and And suicide is one of the things we don't want to play a gambling game with. I mean... If a child says that, and if they have a plan especially, is when I send them straight to the hospital. Um, but when, when I'm sitting with kids, and I, I would say you probably want to defer to a counselor on this too, but when I'm sitting with kids, there I can tease out, is that more that you're afraid that might be happening inside of you, or you really don't want to be here anymore, and you have a plan to do something about it. But you can imagine, if you were 16 today, or 15, or 13, or even 8 and you're all of a sudden hearing about suicide for the first time and you have kind of dark, sad thoughts, you might think, that's what's wrong with me. Or, I really love my best friend. I had a group of high school girls tell me, we were talking about homosexuality, and that I told them that I had read that 40% of kids have random, like, impulsive homosexual thoughts at some point. And they said, oh, it's way higher than that at this point. And that's not, like, research-based. That's a group of juniors and seniors in high school. But none of them were acting on that at the point. And so now, you know, as overexposed as we are culturally... A kid who thinks, I really love my best friend, huh, wonder what it would be like to kiss someone that's my same gender, then thinks, oh my gosh, I'm gay, and then now announces it to everyone at their school, when really it was based out of anxiety. And so we just want to be aware that that's going to shift. Those things obviously are occurring when they're not based out of anxiety, but we want to be aware that that sometimes is what's happening in their loop, and we want to ask good questions to help figure out, do we need to send them to the hospital? Who do they need to talk to? How do we help parents work through that? Because even to say to a parent who comes to you and says, my child said that they might be gay, and that parent is feeling what? Anxiety and shame to be able to say, hey, just so you know, I heard someone speak. And sometimes that's not what's going on. It's really more based out of anxiety. Why don't you take him or her to go see a counselor? That's even going to take down some of the parents' anxiety and some of what happens as a fallout when a child and parent have that conversation where things just blow up that much more. So just for y'all to be aware. So it's going to be this loop. And part of why I think parents often don't get kids' help is because the first loop happens and a parent thinks something, like what? They're going to grow out of it. This is normal. And some of it is normal. Kids, all kids go through some degree of normal childhood fears. But we get concerned when they get stuck. And it loops and loops and loops. And so... What, we would, what I say to kids is, and, and for y'all to be aware of this too, anybody I believe who is suffering from anxiety, and I don't mean clinical anxiety but just has a personality that leans a little bit that way, it means they're really bright, they're really conscientious, they try really hard, things matter to them, and it's like there's this volume knob that they just can't figure out how to turn down. And so when I sit with kids and say, let me tell you what I know to be true about kids who deal with anxiety. You're really smart. You're really bright. Things matter a lot to you. You care deeply about the people you have a relationship with. It takes away some of that, what is wrong with me? And shame that they're feeling because of the loop. And so that's a great message to give kids and parents too. And we talked about that. That's the two-year lag that often makes the worry worst. So I'm going to shift to the next slide. Y'all are good. Okay. So what an anxious parent looks like. um, And if I were to sit with parents, one of the first things I would say, and y'all know this, working with kids. But parents are going to be, y'all probably remember that Donald Miller quote from Forever Going Blue Like Jazz that says, nobody will listen to you unless they sense that you like them. We know that to be true in our work with kids. It's also true with parents. They're gonna hear you much more if they feel like you get it and you're coming alongside them. I still am trying to do that every day in my counseling office, especially with harder parents because our voice is even more important with them so we want to help them kind of understand what this is like and also if they're anxious and you can feel it when you're having the conversation with them and they're saying my child is so anxious i don't know what to do about it it's just terrible then one of the things you can tell them is that you know that they are smart brave and strong as well that's a conversation we want to have with them and um what happens so if a parent has anxiety if your parent had anxiety, or your grandparent, you are seven times more likely to deal with anxiety yourself. And so that's a piece of it. There's genetic component to this. And there are some behavioral components as well. Like that sweet mom, what she was doing was she was overcompensating for what she felt like she never had when she was growing up. And I do think that's part of culturally what's happening with parents today is they don't feel like anybody was listening. They didn't know how to talk about their feelings. And so now they're really over attending. They're over listening and and kids who get big and attention seeking in our practice, they often either have parents who are over listening. And so things become catastrophic that aren't necessarily or they're not listening at all. And so the child has to get really big to get their parents to listen at all. And so we want to help parents find their way to a good sense of balance. And so they are going to unknowingly overcompensate. Again, and I want us to remember these words like unknowingly. They're not doing it on purpose. They're doing it because they feel so worried about their child. They don't want them to suffer in the way that a lot of these parents suffered in silence as they were growing up. So they're not doing it meaning to so unknowingly overcompensating they unwittingly over control so they end up patting the walls for their kids not letting them do the scary thing which we know is what's going to have to happen and they are at every step saying let me do this for you let me do this for you I have a friend who I love this statement she said to me recently I wish when I was growing up my mom had said to me you've got this more than let me get this for you not an awesome statement. You've got this more than let me get this for you. The parent who's over-controlling and over-protecting, which is what we would get into next, is saying, I'm going to get it for you. I'm going to get it for you. I'm going to get it for you. And, and one of the things that I talk to parents to help them think about, which is a good thing for y'all to, you could even put this like, whenever you meet with parents, you could have it somewhere visible. But um, what, are doing, what are they doing for their children right now that the kids can almost do I'm not saying that right. What are they doing for their kids right now that their kids can do for themselves? And what are two things that their kids can almost do for themselves that their parents can let go of? We want kids to feel capable. So we want to stop this over control, over protection, over compensating. It's not helping. In fact, I think it's just driving the statistics to a worse place. And parents are overestimating the problem themselves. So that's one of the things I found in the research was that parents who are anxious even use more catastrophic language. That sounds horrible. That's terrible about whatever it is that's in front of them. I can't believe your friend said that to you. Oh no, what are we going to do? That kind of thing so all of that makes it feel bigger and so in my research the definition I came up with for anxiety is anxiety is an overestimation of the problem and an underestimation of themselves boys or girls overestimation of the problem and an underestimation of themselves and so when a parent's rescuing what are they doing underestimating the child yeah you can't do it so i've got to pull you out of the situation you feel a little fear about school we're not doing it anymore i don't want you to feel that way because i felt that way and no one helped me that's understanding but it's not helping him. And that's what we want to move to next is moving from a sense of understanding to moving to a sense of what helps looks like. And I'm going to give you all some really practical things in terms of that. But I want to show you all another clip. I love visuals. I think they always help me. And I would imagine a lot of y'all have seen this movie, too. It's a movie called Wonder. If you haven't read that book, seen the movie, I would highly recommend it. And even as something to talk to your kids about, because I think one of the things that wonder hits out of the park is the concept of empathy. And as these kids are so aware culturally today of the fact that they have anxiety and depression and all the things that they're talking about a lot, they don't have a lot of empathy for each other. And it actually makes the reader or the watcher of the movie um, ha- take different perspectives, which just creates more empathy. So let's watch this and then we'll talk a little bit about it. I want you to pay attention to the mom and dad and the differences in the two of them in the scene. Oh, just kidding. That's not next. Okay. So one last thing about anxiety. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so for parents, what they do, the two most common mistakes research says that parents make are they are escape and avoidance. So again, pulling the child out of the situation over and over and over. They help them escape or they just avoid it entirely, which just reinforce that idea. It's too big. You're too small. Um, and research says that all children long to be independent. And kids whose parents are overprotecting them are not having the opportunity to be independent. Here's a tricky part: is that kids who are anxious then, though, get used to not being independent. They get used to their parents doing things for them, and then they start to demand that their parents do things for them. I I really believe kids who are anxious often become really entitled, and are some of the most entitled kids I've received because. They long to be independent, but it's not their gut reaction. Their gut reaction is they're scared. And so if their parents will pull them out of school, awesome. I don't want to go to school. They pull them out of whatever it is that's making them afraid. They don't want to come to youth group. I sit with kids all the time who socially it is terrifying for them to walk into the building. And so the parent says, you don't have to go anymore. Rather than helping them work through a plan for what it looks like to go straight to somebody that's a person they feel safe with. That's what we want to do is help them come up with plans if they feel anxious. The escape and avoidance doesn't help because kids feel best when they do the thing. They feel so proud of themselves when they do the scary thing because they do long to be independent. And we already said this. To work through their fear, they have to do the scary thing. So now we're going to watch Wonder and then we'll talk a little bit about it oh gosh um, just kidding um, no really we are So, but it's introducing the section on health and then we'll talk about it okay here we go I'll meet you right here after school okay right here I love you love you too I'll see you later can you hear me they stare you can't blend in when you were born to stand out. We're gonna have a lot of man-to-man. Now, I gotta stop here because past this point is a no-dad zone and you don't want to walk up with your parents because it's not cool. But you're cool. I know I am, but technically most dads aren't, so. are, so neither of these helmets. Two rules. First, only raise your hand once a class, no matter how many answers you know, except for science. Crush the whole. Check. Second, you're gonna feel like you're all alone walking, but you're not. Check. Should we lose this? Come on. Costumes are for Halloween. Prepare for blast off. I love you. I love you, too. Have fun. Bye. Have an excellent mission and God see. We are ready to proceed at this time. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Dear God, please make them be nice. Four, three, two. Such a great movie. So... If you, so, research says also that in a two parent household, there is often one anxious parent and one non anxious parent, and the non anxious parent often gets dismissed. They're not paying enough attention, they're not on it, whereas the non anxious parent is really important their voice. Who was the non anxious parent there? The dad. The dad. He might have been a little bit anxious but he wasn't showing it he was able to contain it and not catastrophize what was going on for that child and so both voices are really important for kids and y'all will likely see parents that you can tell immediately who's the anxious parent and the non-anxious parent so that's a tip that's important to help them know sometimes as well so Like I said in the book, we move from understanding to help to hope. And I want to talk about some really practical things we can do to help kids and some things y'all can do with kids as they come to you. And even if a child is in the midst of starting a panic attack, a genuine panic attack, some things that you can do to help. So what happens, and y'all probably have read a lot of this, but for any of us who are anxious, any of us who tend towards getting anxious. So when we're having a calmer moment, we're sitting here, okay, you're sitting here in this room unless you have anxiety and I'm triggering you a lot this morning, when we're sitting here calmly, we have blood flowing all throughout our brains. When we get anxious, our blood vessels in our brains constrict and it shifts the blood flow away from our prefrontal cortex the prefrontal cortex helps us think rationally and manage emotions. It shifts the blood away from that and it sends it straight to the amygdala. And the amygdala does what? Goes crazy. Goes crazy, creates fight or flight. Yeah, absolutely. And so when kids get angry, it's because their amygdala has hijacked their brain. And parents will say, "I can't reason with him when he gets to that place. He's like a crazy person." Right. Because the part of his brain that is reasonable isn't even getting blood and what happens is for people who have especially chronic anxiety the amygdala becomes what they call hyper responsive and it actually enlarges so it creates this hair trigger response and these false alarms so things that aren't anxiety provoking become anxiety provoking and their amygdala gets triggered when it doesn't need to be and so we want to teach some really practical things and i'm going to talk a lot of y'all know a lot about therapy probably um, but cognitive behavior therapy is one of the most researched um, ways to deal with anxiety, and so what we're going to talk about are some cognitive behavioral therapy te- techniques, and the great thing is you can do them, too. I can do them, too. I mean, anybody can do them. We can teach parents to do these things, and when we have parents call the Daystar office, often before they come in, we'll even say, hey, why don't you grab a copy of this book? Because there are things you can do at home before you even have to take your child to counseling. There are really practical things we can do. So. One of the first things we do is what we call square breathing, what I call square breathing with girls. The guys on staff at Daystar call it combat breathing because the Navy SEALs actually use this as they're training people for combat because they've got to be able to think rationally in those moments. And so what it is, is it's the same thing, just with different names. And, you know, I'm a counselor, so I'm going to make y'all do this with me. So I want you to put your hand on your leg and you're going to draw a square. And with each line of the square, you're going to breathe a different direction. And you're going to do it slowly and pause in the corner for three seconds. So. If, y'all, if you do that three times, you really do feel differently. And what's happening is it literally dilates the blood vessels in your brain and it shifts the blood back to the frontal lobe. It's a physiological thing that happens. The thing about, for kids, about them drawing it on their leg, is if they're standing there with a group of kids talking, they can do it and nobody even really knows that's what they're doing. Or if they're at school and sitting in a desk, you can teach them to do it under their desk and nobody sees it. But they can breathe in that way that's going to help them get back to being more capable of getting themselves out of the loop. So we do really all the mindfulness stuff that is so I don't know if you can say trendy about mindfulness but it is um all of that is starting with that kind of those kind of breathing ideas that's why as silly as it feels sometimes it has a physiological response when we do that so we want to start there and then if I was going to do the first three things these are the first two things I would do in my counseling office with a child so Again, if you have anxiety at all, this is going to make total sense to you. But when someone gets anxious, it's like they spin off into the stratosphere. They're not even in the present moment with us. They're thinking about what happened or what might happen and in that loop. And so we basically do what's called a grounding technique where we grab their ankles and we pull them back down to the present. And grounding techniques involve anything that pertains to the senses. That's why the square breathing, I like better than some of the other there are a million ways you can deep breathe, but I like it because the sensation of drawing the square on your leg is actually a grounding technique. Another one I use with kids all the time is 54321. So if you think of each of the senses, they and if you have a kid sit here and do this with you, it's great because it really does require their concentration, which is what we're wanting. 5 things they see, Four things they hear. Three things they feel. Two things they smell one thing they taste and i'm old enough i can't ever remember that in the right order so you can mix it up you don't have to do it in the right order but basically the five senses five four three two one and literally if you do that experiment with somebody if you were to sit here and do it right now you'd stop thinking about whatever it is you're thinking about with a lot of teenagers i will teenagers who can do this um, i will have them count backwards from 100 by sevens because that requires a lot of what Concentration, Yeah, it's pulling them out of the loop. Um, tell me everything you see in this room that's the color blue. Requires concentration. Tell me every word you can think of that starts with the letter D. Concentration. Anything like that, that we can help them. And you all, again, anxiety is such a phenomenon that's happening inside of a person that we so often don't know what's happening. And so when we can give them tools that they can use, you know, walking into the building, they're doing five, four, three, two, one, and it gets, gets them off of thinking, who am I gonna talk to, where am I gonna sit, who am I gonna get to hang out with, until it really starts, till youth group starts. Having them have tools like that is really helpful. That's where I would always start in counseling with kids. And then we would move to the brain. Let's see how we're doing on time. Actually, maybe it's a great time to take a break. Why don't we take, you can go do some deep breathing on your 15-minute break, and then we're going to come back together and move to help for the brain. Thanks, y'all.